This is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now enjoy today's message with Ted Cunningham. Today we're starting a brand new series called Greater Joy. We're going to be going through the book of Philippians verse by verse all the way through the end of the year. And so the question I have for you, how many of you woke up with joy this morning? Let's hear it. You're going to wave at me. You're going to raise your hand. No, you woke up. How many of you? Not so much. You can be real honest. You didn't wake up. This is going to be a reset. Thank you for your honesty. A reset for joy. And I am married to a joyful woman and she is an early joyful woman. Um, She gets up early in the morning. She gets up before I do. And let me tell you, she is ready to go. When I wake up, and usually there's a lot of great life change that's going to happen around 6 a.m. at our house. And I woke up a couple of weeks ago, and I'm not kidding. She's usually rocking like this. She's so excited for me to be up and to share God's plans for our lives uh, at around 6 a.m. And a couple of weeks ago, she got passionate about health again. And she goes, we're going to get healthy in how we eat. And let's just be real honest. When she says we, she means me. And she is on, and I just had this brief moment where she's talking about everything we're going to change and how we're going to eat and what we're going to do. I went, I think right now, and I I looked at her, I go, I think the next thing out of your mouth is going to be something about our coffee in the morning. Are you, are you threatening our coffee with this whole thing? And she goes, well, I do want to, folks, for two weeks, I've been on half calf. Yeah, I don't, yeah, half calf, which means half joy. Let's just be real honest (laughs) what that really means. And so I saw this online and I texted it to her and it was the perfect, it was just, God sent it to me. By replacing your morning coffee with green tea, you can lose up to 87% of what little joy you still have left in your life. And if you're new to our church, I want you to hear this. We will never do that to you. We will never switch the coffee at Woodland Hills to half-calf. You're getting full strength. So I'm going to start it. You finish it. If you grew up in church, it's going to scare some people who didn't sitting next to you. But give it to me with full strength. I've got the joy, 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 joy. Stop, because there's people going, this is a cult. I don't want to be here. I read this week, one pastor said this, and I thought it was perfect. Many of you have the joy so deep down in your heart that your face hasn't found it yet. (laughs) So we're going for joy in this series. And here, this is just a little diagram to explain how it works. I want joy deep down in my heart, but we're going to know... Clearly from this series, over 19 times, the word joy or rejoice or delight is going to be mentioned. And our joy is found in Christ Jesus. He's the source of life. He's the source of joy. Many of us are robbed of our joy from what we call joy killers. And that would be people, places, or things. And let me tell you, Gary Smalley said it all the time up here. Jesus is your source of life. If you look for people, places, or things to be your source, you will be disappointed and crushed. Let it be the overflow. And so when joy is deep down in your heart, the overflow is gratefulness. And in this series, especially today, as Paul writes this letter to the church at Philippi, he is expressing gratefulness towards believers in Christ Jesus. And when he prays, 
His first thought, and in the morning, I, I hope this is true of all of us, when we get out of bed, or before we get out of bed, our prayers are beginning with just prayers of thanksgiving. Sometimes our prayers can descend into just requests and supplication. But that our, we would be grateful for those in our life. We'd be grateful for those who serve alongside us. We'd be grateful for those who partner with us in the gospel. And Paul shares that. The gospel and the sharing of it. When I have the joy of Jesus in my heart, it makes me want to share the good news with others. It's an overflower. Like Jeremiah would say, it's, it's a fire within my bones. I can't help it. You've been around joyful people. It comes out. They, they, they can't hold it in. When they have the joy of the Lord, it's going to affect our praise and our worship and our confidence. Now, here's why this circle's coming back in. We know who our source is. We should be practicing this more. If this is the overflow, it also becomes a spiritual discipline. You remember when Jesus shared with the church at Ephesus, uh, they were doing great things. They were persevering. They were standing up to false teachers. But what does it say in Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 and 5? Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. You've drifted in your faith. You've drifted from your first love. But three things, and this is what I love. The Lord always gives us a way back. If you're in here today and you've drifted from your faith and you know it's just something marginal in your life right now, there's always a way back. And what does Jesus say? You've forsaken the love you had at first, so consider how far you have fallen. If your joy is absent right now and you do not have the joy of the Lord in your life, consider that today. Think back to when you did. Think back to when you first were saved, when you first placed faith in Jesus and that joy, that gratefulness, the prayer, the gospel that you were sharing with other people was flowing out of you. Consider those days. And then what does it say? Number two, repent. It's never a word we need to be scared of or afraid of. We need to repent, confess our sins before our Father in heaven. And then I love this. And then do the things you did at first. Go back to that. And so today we're going to jump in and look at some of these hallmarks. A mark of a Christian who has joy. And you can see this letter is a le- You know, Paul wrote a lot of letters to churches. I'm going to give you a, a few of them. Romans, he wrote that strong, logical, gospel explanation. 1 Corinthians, it was a long book, long letter. Uh, he was confronting sin, carnal behavior. 2 Corinthians, there's more of a forgiveness and a tone of, of forgiveness and reconciliation. In Galatians, he's fixing doctrinal error. They were adding things to the gospel. And he said, remember, if you do that, that person, may they be cursed. You don't add to or take anything away from the gospel. You let the gospel be. In Ephesians, it's a, it's a doctrinal book. When we get to Philippians, it is a book of joy and gratefulness. And he's right. It's almost like a missionary uh, thank you letter. Thanking the church at Philippi for joining with him. We're going to jump right into this. Chapter 1, Philippians, verses 1 and 2. Paul And with him, Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. This is written from Rome. He's under house arrest. He founded the church at Philippi about 10 years prior. So the church is about 10 years old when they get this letter. And uh, he's in chains for the gospel. And he's writing this letter. And you're going to see him talk to the church. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to God's holy people, the congregation in Christ Jesus at Philippi, Together with the overseers and deacons. If you're going to be a church, you have to have leaders. 
So he's addressing a congregation and leaders. Yes, we can do ministry outside of the church, but I encourage everyone who desires to do ministry to be plugged into a local church and to submit to the authority of the local church because we celebrate and find joy and life in Christ. And he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The church is a body of believers who know that Jesus is their source of joy, remind one another of that often, and share it with a lost and dying world. I heard a pastor this week in Nashville say, and I know we have people, I have friends watching right now from Arizona and around the country, and we're grateful for this ministry, but let me tell you, Woodland Hills right now is a supplement to your faith and to your life that you need to be in a local church. And I heard this pastor say, and I love it, uh, in Nashville, his name's Scott Sauls. He said, uh, he hears from people all the time, from Seattle, Miami, other places that say, you are our church, to which Pastor Saul says, no, we are not. He said, and the reason we are not is when you have an emergency in your life, we can't be there for you. When you're part of a local church, right, we're there for each other. When we gather together, we're the body of believers. We know Jesus is our source. We remind one another of that when we gather, and then we share that with those who are far from God. Dr. Swindoll, Chuck Swindoll, I love how he thinks. He's talking about this letter, comparing it to all the other letters that Paul wrote. Paul didn't write Philippians to answer any profound theological question solve some naughty practical problem, or deal with a specific sin. Instead, he wrote to express and encourage joy. And because Jesus is our source, greater joy is possible in any season or stage of life. There are some of you right now that are tying your joy and your happiness, your delight, your gladness, your rejoicing to what you're going through. And the reason you have no joy is because you're in a difficult season. We are coming, I'm praying to my Father in heaven, to the end of a difficult season called a pandemic. We couldn't do any. I couldn't do anything to get out of a pandemic. We went through that together, but I will tell you, and we're going to see in the text today, I believe as a church we're stronger as a result of it. And you can find joy in the midst of difficult seasons. If you came in here today and you dropped off a three, a five, and a seven-year-old, we're going to need you to pick up that three, five, and seven-year-old on your way out. I can't get you through the stage. I can't get you out of the stage of life that you're in. We don't tie our joy to seasons and stages. We have joy through seasons and stages. We're coming to Christmas. Some people tie it to, to things. And they, they tie their joy to things. And you're looking forward to Christmas. It's going to be a different Christmas because, you know, all of your gifts are going to be somewhere out in the Pacific Ocean uh, on ships. And it's going to be a fun Christmas. You're going to give everybody a card with a picture of what you were hoping to get them. <laughs> this is what I had in mind. You should be grateful. Maybe some other time uh, this will come your way. Right? That, we know that's short-lived if you tie your joy to things. It's not in people, places, or things. It's in Christ. And it's found in the, the, the local church. That's, that's led well and cared for. And I need you to hold on to that leader part because when we're going to end the message today, for those of you who've been hurt by the church, for those of you who've been hurt by leaders, and that's caused you to question your faith or be shaky in your faith or maybe to begin to drift in your faith. We can enjoy it in any season or stage of life, no matter how difficult it is. Verse three, I thank my God every time I remember you. 
Do you have relationships in your life that every time you think of the person, this is the sound you hear? Sucking the life right out of you. You know Paul had those relationships. People that drained him. But he's writing with great joy about this group, about this church. Because when he thinks about this church, it fills him with joy. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. I'm always so grateful for what Christ is doing in and through you in his church. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And let's understand. Yes, this is the fellowship. And I pray that every missionary of our church feels that we're a good partner. I hope when missionaries, Haiti, Tanzania, Indonesia, all across the globe, when missionaries think of Woodland Hills Family Church, my prayer is that they are filled with joy. That they think that is a church that doesn't just, they don't just send us money. They don't just send us support every month and pray for us every month and every day throughout the week. It's not just that. They are a people that are constantly looking for ways to bless us. May that always be said of our church. May we be seen as partners in the gospel here in our local church, in our local community, in the nation, and to the ends of the earth. Going on to verse 6. Being confident... Confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, until he returns. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you here it is share in God's grace with me. We're together in this. For the sake of Jesus. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Greater joy requires that we spend time with people who have the joy of the Lord. And a lot of you have relationships that drain you. But you need relationships that fill you. And again, people are not the source of life, but the overflow of their heart coming into gratefulness, prayer, thanksgiving, praise, sharing of the gospel, coming back, and they become spiritual disciplines that we just keep feeding off of one another, finding joy and joy in the Lord. Do you have those people in your life? Because if you, if you don't, I'm going to encourage you to find them. If you do and you don't spend a lot of time with them, those are people you need to turn way up. You need to take the other voices, the other people in your life and begin to turn them down and mute them. See, we tend to weigh ourselves down with relationships marked by ill feelings, regrets, rejection, and abandonment, and they can consume us. And yes, Paul had those relationships. He was rejected. He was abandoned. He had churches that that he had to go to and defend himself and defend his authority as an apostle and defend the gospel. He had a lot of difficult, challenging relationships. The book we're in, the letter written to Philippi, this is a book of joy. And I'm so thankful for you. But greater joy is found in lifelong partners in Christ Jesus. Verse 9. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best. If you're in your Bible right now, underline this or highlight it on the app that you're using. Paul here is not speaking about a sentimental love. And most people, and when you hear the world talk about love, you're getting a sentimental love. That is not what Paul is talking about. He's talking about a love that is rooted in knowledge and discernment. 
and understanding that what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness, what he is doing in and through you and what it's producing that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. We shared a lot about this in the armor series, and we're going to see a little bit of it in Philippians. But we, we said that one of the schemes of Satan, he is, he's brilliant because he's made it unloving and unkind to go against him. And so what Christians do is they back away and we're told we're not loving and we're not kind when we stand on truth and when we speak truth. And we said this, and it's, I'm going to say it a different way, but it's similar. You're going to remember it from Armour if you were part of that series. Joining others in their drift from truth and discernment does not make you a more loving and kind person. You do not need to join people as they abandon God's word in order to prove to them that you love them. When you stand for truth, when you stand in, with Jesus as your source of life and joy... You can speak the truth with courage and boldness and confidence and, like we saw last week, clarity. You can do all of that in love. Chuck Swindoll has a great illustration with all of this. And I just want you to know all the graphics today I created on PowerPoint. Uh, That's why they all look very kind of, uh, I don't know what you would, emoji-like. I get really excited about it. And then people tell me, we should have got a graphic designer involved in that. So uh, just go with it for now. I love, Chuck Swindoll puts it this way, love is a free-flowing river. But that's where our culture wants us to stop. Just, just love, love, and however anybody wants to be loved, cared for, however, just love. And if you, if, if you stop loving someone, you know, here's the problem, and it gets real confusing. He says, the banks of this river, yes, let love flow through your life. The banks of this river are knowledge and discernment. You go online, love is all people talk about. You know what social media is missing? <laughs> Knowledge and discernment. <laughs> and lots of it. And when you bring in knowledge and discernment, what are you told? You're not loving. No, these are the banks of this river. I want to be rooted in knowledge and discernment. That's why greater joy, you take a picture of that, or I'll send it to you. I may put it online. That was such a phenomenal graphic. Uh, <laughs> Greater joy establishes boundaries in relationships. It does. And that's exactly what he's saying. And so can I just share this with all of us? And this is every generation. You're like, well, the young people need to hear this. I don't know. You seniors on Facebook. (laughs) You need to hear this too. Stop pouring your heart out online expecting everyone to love you. Stop pouring your heart out online expecting everyone to validate you. Stop pouring your heart out online expecting affection from the world. Why are believers looking for affection and love from the world? Paul is saying clearly here, we find it in Christ. We find it in our lifelong partnerships within the church. And this, let me tell you, I don't need it from the world. The Bible, Jesus is clear. If you stand for me, the world is going to hate you. Too many believers, are, we're called to love a lost and dying world, but we're not called to spin our wheels all day long and throw discernment to the side and throw knowledge to the side so that the world will love us. That's not at all how this works. Be rooted and grounded in Christ Jesus. That our, and he's saying, what is he saying to the church at Philippi? We want you to become more loving. We want you to abound in love and joy. And how do you do that as a church? With knowledge 
and discernment. We're spending too much time seeking it from the world when we already have it in Christ. We're spending too much time seeking it from a lost and dying world when it's already been given to us in Jesus. And I just, just this has just been hit me because I know I have many friends who are constantly seeking affection online. And let me just say, when you seek affection on social media, remember, many will never see your post. And you're looking for that serotonin hit or whatever, dopamine hit or whatever it is. You're looking and, and you post something. You pour your heart out online and you know your friends online and you're like, oh no, why aren't they liking this? Well, maybe they didn't even see it. And you're waiting for it. The al- Don't let an algorithm determine your relationships with people. You heard Facebook is changing their name, right? It's no longer going to be facebook.com. It's going to be facebook.gov. Oh, stop it. That was a joke I tried at the first service. It didn't work either. And I'm like, I'm doubling down in the second service. And it didn't work there either. So we're going to dump it at 1130. Or 1130 has a better sense of humor than the first two services. And they may take it better than you all did. You have many people online, real relationships with people in the, in the church, but you're online as well. They care. They just don't have the capacity right now to show it. They got a lot going on. They're raising a three, a five, and a seven-year-old. Many of them care, but they don't know how to help. You're looking for something that you're not getting. And I just want you to know you already have it. You have it in Christ. You have it in this church. Plug into relationships that will pour back into you the joy of the Lord. But let's be honest. Many of your friends, and I put friends in quote on this one, they don't care. They don't care. Verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, we're constantly going back to the church, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. The people coming against me in Rome, it's it's serving the gospel. Being chained to a Roman soldier under house arrest, it's serving the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard. When I read that this week, I I was just intrigued to think about, can you imagine... Being the Roman soldier, chained to the Apostle Paul. Just get in his world for a little bit. Sometimes we don't get into all the other characters when we read scripture. And the comedian in me comes out, and I mean, it's just, I I developed a 30-minute bit off of this. But I can just imagine the soldier going home to his family at night. And so, how was your day at work, Dad? Oh, 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 you have no idea. What would you do? I was chained to this guy named Paul. What did he do? I don't know, but he writes letters out loud all day long. (laughs) I have to hear, he talks about Jesus all the time. He never stops talking about Jesus. I've asked my superiors, can we chain him to a wall and not to me? Let me stand outside his rented house. Don't make me in here. It's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. What did you do to get in here, man? Well, let me tell you. I've, I've written a couple of letters about it. Let me tell you about Jesus. Think any of these Roman soldiers came to faith? He's in chains and we can sit. That's what I think. Whatever season or stage of life you're in right now, don't waste it. Stop wasting it. Right? See it as an opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus in whatever season or stage of life you're in. We want to wait for joy in the next season or stage of life. That's called destination addiction. We're not waiting for joy in the next season or stage. We've got it in this one because we have it in Christ. 
and we're going to share. He's chained to these soldiers. And guess what? It's gotten out through the whole palace guard. Who, what, what duty did you get today? I'm back with Paul. Woo! Oh, oh, boy. If you ain't saved yet, you probably will be by the end of the shift. Verse 14. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord. My chains have served a great purpose. The season of life that I'm in, great purpose. And dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. I'm wondering if he's thinking through Joseph as he writes this. Who Remember when Joseph at the end of Genesis is reassuring his brothers all that they put him through. All the pain they brought him. Do you think Joseph went through some difficult seasons? Ha! Yeah. From a very young age. And what do we read in Genesis 50 and verse 20? You intended to harm me, he says to his brothers. That was your goal. You were going to take me out. But God intended for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. If I can end to those of you right now that, uh, and I hear it, there's, uh, I want to talk to end with, for those who are questioning their faith because of bad church leaders or church hurt. I spoke with a counselor you know, a month or so ago and said, I, I make my entire living healing three wounds, the father wound, the mother wound, and the church wound. And I know some of you have been hurt by the church. I've been hurt by the church. I've caused hurt in the church. I, I, I'm not a perfect leader. I get that. And I, I get I've caused many wounds over the years. I have tried to make amends for those. There's, it's becoming popular now. There's a podcast out right now on the rise and fall of a large megachurch. And I, I just caution us as a church that we, we don't turn the church into an episode of Dateline. I don't know, Jim Gaffigan does a whole bit on it. But, you know, about 20 years ago, Dateline went all in on murder. Like, that's all it is. And we're all addicted to it. We just love these shows on murders. He goes, and if you watch it, almost every episode is about spousal murder. He goes, if you didn't know any better, you would think most marriages end in murder. <laughs> and I heard one pastor call our addiction to failure in the church and all these podcasts and blogs, he's calling it failure porn. He says, we just love it. We can't get enough of it when people fail. But we know it causes hurt and deep wounds. I served a church in Phoenix years ago. Many people, the church grew. God did amazing things in that church. And the pastor was having multiple affairs. Pastor's a dear friend of mine, still is a dear friend of mine. He was an alcoholic and a sex addict. And uh, I remember talking to people who came to Jesus, came to faith in Jesus in that church. They were discipled in that church. Their marriage was saved in that church. And after my friend fell, they started to ask me questions like, is all of it fake? Is all of it for naught? It, it, it's, it, it's insincere. Does it even matter? Is everything I've poured my life into? And I was able to tell them, absolutely not. Because my friend spoke truth. He gave the gospel. And I, maybe you've never seen this before in scripture. But here's what we read as we close out our text today. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. He's going to go straight to the motives of preachers. The latter do so out of love, right? Goodwill knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. So there were people coming against him, and, and some commentaries say that they saw a gap with Paul imprisoned and under house arrest, that this was their opportunity to get out and make something of themselves. 
The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. Look at this question. I mean, I I had to really sit in this for a while this week. Because when people, uh, we went through a terrible church split 14 years ago, and I wanted the person who left to just be like done with you. And I hope nothing you do succeeds. That's not what Paul's saying here. He says, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. Have you ever seen that before in the scripture? He says, that is why, and because of this, I rejoice. Chuck Swindoll said it this way, a heretic, meaning someone who teaches a false gospel, which is why Paul wrote to the Galatians, a heretic with sincere motives, is still preaching a gospel that has no power to save anyone. So it doesn't matter. If he's a heretic, it doesn't matter what his motives are. His gospel is is not the gospel of Jesus and won't save anyone. But a presentation of the truth, even by those who aren't living in accordance with it. Can I repeat that? A presentation of the truth, even by those who aren't living in accordance with it, still has the power to bring a person to faith. Never forget, he says, it is the work of the Holy Spirit, not his empowered preachers, that save people. And so if you've given up on the church because someone hurt you in the church, let me just encourage you. When leaders fail you, Jesus remains your source of joy, period. Keep your eyes on him. Stay focused on him. Would you pray with me? Father, we look forward to working through this book, this book of joy. And I pray that it stirs up joy in this congregation. I pray that those who, <laughs> who knew it was deep down in their heart at one point, and it's still somewhere in there, but that they're just stirred up during this season. I pray that we share it with each other more. When we're praying tomorrow morning, tonight, and someone comes to mind that brings great joy to us, that we would pick up the phone, we would text, we would call, we would encourage And that we as a church, our love for people, our love for each other would abound more and more. This love and this joy would grow in knowledge and in discernment. And I am one pastor grateful for a congregation that has joy. And I just pray for the one who's never placed faith in Jesus that today would be the day of their salvation. That they would confess their sins. They would repent and cry out to Jesus to be the source of their life. That he is Lord, he's been raised from the dead. They call on his name that they would be saved. And we pray all of this in the good and mighty name of Jesus. Amen.